And we are super psyched to welcome our newest sponsor, Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest best source for premium, new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle, that's West Seattle, or Portland stores. You'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. I know because I'm in there a lot. Grab a cup of coffee, swing on in, don't spill your coffee, and check it all out. And now if you use code TOURSTORIES10, you can get 10% off at thunderroadguitars.com. Yes, that's me playing guitar. Hello, big news from our friends over at DistroKid. They now have an app. This app works on iOS and Android, of course, and it's available in the Apple Store and Google Play Stores and all the stores where you buy apps. Go check it out. It's got a lot of cool features. You can upload new releases. You can get notified when you've earned royalties. Awesome. You can withdraw from the app via push notifications. A little dangerous for me, but rad. Anyways, go check it out. It's all at distrokid.com app. And don't forget, you can still get 30% off your DistroKid account by going to distrokid.com VIP slash tour stories. Have a great one. We continue to celebrate our friends and partners over at Isotope, and we got some big news for you. The gold standard of audio repair, RX11, is coming in May. In the meantime, you can buy RX10 now on sale and get RX11 absolutely free when it's released. Tour Story listeners get 10% off by using code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. All at isotope.com. That's I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Hello, Tour Story listeners. Thank you for your continued support, and welcome to Season 4. I'd like to take a second to thank our friends and sponsors over at Isotope. Here at Ruinous, Chris and I rely heavily on easy-to-use tools like RX and Ozone for all of our audio repair, mixing, and mastering. Now, Tour Story listeners can get 10% off Isotope plugins or try Music Production Suite Pro for free for 30 days using code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. To get your discount and check out all of their easy-to-use products, go to isotope.com slash ruinous. That's I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com slash ruinous. And use code FRET10. And thank you for listening. Hi, Sonny. Hey, Joe. How's it going? <laughs> Wonderful. Lovely to see you. Yeah. When do you think the last time we saw each other was? Mm. Gosh, uh, I don't know. I would say probably been 15 years at the very least. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't that long ago. Maybe this was like, was tw- like, 20, was like 2010, was, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> 11, maybe, 11, 12 yeah. years ago. I don't know. Yeah. Something like that. Where are you? I'm in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Hot Springs National Park. Yep. The country's first national park. Really? 100 years old this year, yeah. Um, It's funny to talk to you. Largely, I talk about tour stories and touring and rock and roll. And almost every episode, I can or I do reference you. What? Either in my mind or verbally <laughs> or... 
or, or I hold back and don't say, uh, I can't reference Sonny again. But um, How interesting. And, and why is that? Well, <laughs> I'd like to talk about that later. But okay. um, I hope it's for something good. For example, when you say you're in Arkansas, I'm like, oh, I, let's see, Arkansas, I think I've been there with Sonny. <laughs> Playing in a gazebo, possibly. All right. Well, let me get, let me, let me interrupt you right there. Yeah. <clears throat> I think your memory about the gazebo is right, but I think my presence is a phantom memory. Really? Um, none of the bands that I was in were ever able to get a show in Little Rock, if you can believe that. Not at Jason White's house? No, I knew Jason. I met, met him eventually. Um, but like when Angel Hair came through here on tour, I think Chino Horde were on on tour somewhere else. So mm-hmm. there was no one. To, I, I think that's why we didn't have a show, but I don't remember. Wow. I, I, I feel like I, I, I tried because we, I mean, we were all over the place, but uh, um, the VSS two didn't n- never played here. It took um, a while. Maybe. I'm not sure what, yeah. Interesting. But, but you guys, I know did because I remember, first of all, I remember, I remember at least one Ar- Arkansas, the, the natural state sticker, uh, which must have left a big That's impression. Right. We're talking about a sticker yeah. like 30, 25, 30 years later. <laughs> uh, they're still passing out those same stickers, by the way. Fred Armisen brought up stickers when I interviewed him. Stickers in the 90s. And it's just funny. The whole sticker culture. And now that we're talking about stickers. Interesting. Yeah. Again, I guess they're Not, a big, they're a signifier, right? They're like, yeah. they're like a secret language. How many fuel stickers do you think you've seen in your life? Fuel cafe stickers. Fuel cafe, yeah, man. Back in the day, just a, just a, it was like, it was like the wall drug of punk rock. <laughs> I know, it's really funny. Um, what have you been doing the last year of your life? Well, the last nearly four years of my life, I've been mm-hmm. the director of a nonprofit arts organization here, which was why I moved here. Um, we were hugely impacted by, uh, COVID and, uh, sort of shut down our physical operations, um, for a year and happened to, um, dovetail with the building that we occupied going up for sale and, and selling very quickly. And so we sort of became a virtual organization overnight. <clears throat> and so we've spent the last year, uh, sort of, uh, reinventing ourselves a little bit and, and, uh, adapting what we do and how we do it and are now kind of emerging stronger than ever before and, and, and a lot more um, prepared to uh, really evolve all of the things that we're doing. You know, uh, it, it's so ironic. I mean, we're, we're a nonprofit here in a, in a difficult place uh, to, to raise money for these kind of things and to really cultivate a, a, an ongoing thing that has momentum and, and grows. And, and uh, the reality is that the, the assistance that's become available as a result of the pandemic has mm-hmm. actually been very beneficial to us yeah. and, and has come at a crucial time in our existence and uh, has given us a leg up to really improve what we're doing. It, it's ironic when people talk about sort of, I mean, I know the last year's been devastating for, for a lot of people, but uh, in our specific case, um, it allowed us to regroup and um, get our ducks in a row mm-hmm. and ultimately been been very uh, positive thing. Uh, I, I, there's no other way of putting it. I, I, I you know, right. I hate to sound callous or anything like that, but for us, it's been, it's, um, it's just helped a lot of things fall into place. And it's really, it's, it's really helped us focus our attention on, on things that maybe weren't a bigger 
a, as big a priority as they should have been before. Right. What do, what are you called and what do you do? The organization's called Low Key Arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, our website is lowkeyarts.org. It's been in existence for 16 years and uh, was first incorporated as a nonprofit for the purpose of promoting a, a short music festival that kind of became synonymous with the, the town. So the story of Loki Arts is really um, in tandem with the kind of bouncing back of the town hot springs in a, lot, in a lot of ways. So back in the early 20th century, before Vegas, uh, hot springs was a, was a destination uh, in America. Mm-hmm. It was, the, like I said, the first national park. And um, gambling was um, variously legal and, and illegal here. And the huge kind of boom took place here in the 20s and 30s and 40s. And this kind of massive kind of gothic architectural presence of skyscrapers and all kind of stuff here in the middle of a national park. It's, it's a, wow. It looks like a movie set. Wow. Um, and the town was booming, but, you know, it's in the Bible Belt. And um, eventually the churches won out and shut everything down. And the town just bottomed out and um, just kind of went to rot for, for a couple decades. And um, when I first came through here uh, on tour in 2006 with Your Future, we we played here in town. There was a, some kids that we knew then who had a band who who have stayed here, and, and ultimately one of them is the reason why I wound up moving here. But uh, they were doing shows here, and it was just – I'd never even heard of this place. And, and um, it was like going into a weird time capsule – like I said, kind of like just like a almost like a film set, just uh, all these empty, fantastic buildings and, and just a, a whole town full of, you know, I mean, it's a, again, national parks and there's like statues and fountains. And it has it's yeah. very eclectic and, and um, fantastic in, in its own weird way. And uh, anyway, so so Loki Arts, we we do music festivals. That was sort of, that was the first few years of our existence. And uh, we very quickly moved into a um, physical building here in hot springs that was kind of became synonymous with the name Loki arts for a decade. And um, our festival Valley of the vapors, which is why we, I don't think I mentioned that yet. That's what it's called. That's, that's why we were incorporated in the first place. Valley of the vapors, independent music festival uh, will be coming up again in October. Um, in the meantime, we've also developed a bunch of other things. We've started a filmmaking program about 10 years ago that has taken on a life of its own. And um, we have uh, an incredible collection of really top-notch gear and um, a handful of really dedicated, incredible professionals who who devote a lot of time to teaching and, and um, developing our programs. And a, a lot of repeat kids who basically get a, um, a leg up in the world of filmmaking from our humble little organization here in, in Hot Springs that has actually um, provably opened some doors for some of the uh, alumni, which is really awesome to see. Wow, that's... Yeah. Uh, I sound like a spoke... Well, I, I am a spokesman, but... Uh, <laughs> it's, but it sounds good. It's, it's impressive. Um, were you in Los Angeles before? Uh, yeah, I, right before I moved here, I, I spent six years living in Vegas, right outside of Vegas, and um, sort of on the edge of the valley, as they say. Uh, for me, it was really um, cool opportunity to just uh, just completely change my my whole um, reality. I was uh, getting a little tired of LA, and um, a good friend owned a house in Vegas that was sitting there, empty. And I thought, why not? You know, this is a cool. I, I love the desert. I'd always wanted the opportunity to spend more time in the desert. I ha- had never in a million years imagined living in Las Vegas. Uh, 
most of the time I was freelancing, just working at home, making art. Um, I did a lot of record art while I was there. Um, and um, was uh, also fortunate enough to publish a book, which was which was amazing opportunity to do to do that. What's your book called? My book of of my own art is called Headspaces, and that was uh, published by my friend Bob Rob, who I'm, you may well remember. Yeah, I have a Bob Rob photograph in my home. Oh, do you? Of- How nice. Okay. Um, yes, Bob published a book uh, for me, which was. Um, a great opportunity and uh he and i have also collaborated on a couple of books to do with um the colorado scene mm-hmm. and um yeah occasionally um kind of freak out and go get a corporate job for a few months oh really and uh oh hang on one second sorry yep. what that room's flooding it is yeah downstairs yeah like your entrance it's flooding yeah. i just went down to go get my tools so i can head out and all my stuff soaked. Your whole floor is about that full of water. Wow. Uh, is it the washing machine? I, it's not even coming from the washing machine. Like the washing right here, and that entrance is right there. Sorry. Go check it out. <laughs> Go check it out. Okay. Um, Joe, Go can, look. Yeah. Can, yeah. I, can I put you Go on look. Just minutes? Yeah, I'll be right Yeah, back. and if okay. we if we got to do this later, we can, we can do it later. But okay. yeah, go check it. Right on. Try to maintain the continuity from yesterday by wearing the exact same clothes. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> I'm wearing my clothes I slept in. Good. good. I went from my bed to, to to editing. Yeah, Anger Simone's t-shirt. Um, so um, we left off. We were talking about your 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 stint in Nevada. So while you were there in Nevada, mm-hmm. was GSL over? It was, yeah. So, uh, so GSL actually came to an end in 2007. Um, what does GSL stand for? Sorry. GSL stood for Gold Standard Laboratories. Um, and that uh, was a record, the record label that I um, 
began in college in 1993, putting out local bands in Boulder, and then um, moved it to Berkeley, and ultimately all over California, um, before sort of winding up in LA for the last few years. Things were getting increasingly difficult with doing it, and there was a lot going on in my life, and a lot happening with the Mars Volta, who were, by that point, you know, intricately linked to the label and what we were all doing together. And um, yeah, we closed the doors on the label at the end of that year. Uh, within um, within a year or so, we had done a deal for Omar's imprint uh, through Sergeant House in L.A. So uh, mm-hmm. I, the last few years I was living in L.A., I was actually working at Sergeant House. So that was yeah, the last few years in L.A. I left L.A. in 2011 for the desert. And, um, you know, one thing led to another. And, and uh, six years flew by out there. And uh, and then this opportunity to come to Hot Springs appeared, and these were things that I never ever would have predicted or imagined, but that that was what was intriguing about them. And uh, right. yeah, here we are. All right. Well, um, I typically play a song right now in this type of interview. Okay. We're not going to play a new song from Sunny K today, but. Um, I just want to talk to you about touring, which in this yeah. version of the podcast, I don't talk about touring that much. Um, but as I said at the beginning of this, um, almost every time I discuss touring with anyone, your name <laughs> either comes up or it just comes up in my in my mind. And as we maybe found out, maybe I'm maybe they're all phantom uh, stories, <laughs> but I don't think so. Um, I'm haunting your memory for some reason. So. Uh, <laughs> My formative years of touring were with Bare Minimum, and in turn, with you, you booked us shows, and we toured with maybe both of your bands, maybe both Angel Hair and VSS. I know VSS. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And for that, I'd like to thank you. You, Well, you're very welcome. Those were wonderful times. You showed me the road, for reals. You showed (laughs) me the road to the road. Um. well, you make it sound as though I was, uh, as as though I was, um, kind of a, I, as if, as if I had any experience that I was, uh, what's then in turn, uh, you know, we were kind of, you know, I, I may have been the one making the phone calls, but we all, I feel like we all were equally on those, uh, trips and adventures together and, uh, and, uh, equally as, as pleasantly surprised or as, uh, or as uh, catastrophically disappointed uh, as we were. Right. Depending on the... <laughs> you were definitely a step ahead of me. You um, had toured before. And mm-hmm. I don't know, you instilled some trust for both Bare Minimum and and me when we were either together or, you know, when you were booking shows. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you for that. And a couple, well, thank you. The one thing that's come up a lot in these conversations, which I'm very surprised about is the dialer <laughs> the tone dialer? you would yeah the tone dialer yeah. we called it the demon dialer mm-hmm. everyone calls it something else mm-hmm. but <laughs> it's crazy how often it comes up i was just talking to dave hernandez uh from scared of chaka in the right. shins and yeah and dave just started talking about <laughs> the dialer <laughs> As if I didn't know what it was, but it was, it was really funny, but he's like the fifth person at least that, that I've talked to on this. Wow. Um, can you, de- can you describe what the dialer is and what it did for us? 
Sure. Um, I'll preface that by saying um, I um, <clears throat> I pined for a dialer for for at least I don't know two two years before actually getting my hands on one of my own, mm-hmm. which was a hand me down uh, from someone <laughs> I don't remember who, and I don't have it anymore. Um, I haven't had it for a long time, which makes me which is surprising because I I have a, a very deep archive of stuff for my whole life. I've kept most things and uh that thing i don't know where it went but uh i'd like to think that it would it went on to greener pastures and and uh more tours i'm sure right I, because i i think i actually only used it to book maybe two or three tours mm-hmm. so it was a pocket device sold by radio shack and um the purpose of it was to not have to memorize phone numbers and um you could program in anywhere from um 10 to i don't know a hundred phone numbers. I'm not sure how, how many, but um, people would buy these things to, and and go home and, and sit with their, you know, their phone book and, and program in their friends' numbers. And then, then you still have to remember what number is your friend, <laughs> which single digit or double <laughs> yeah. digit, you know, yeah. you're like, you're still got to remember stuff. But uh, um, so, th- so the, the science behind the device was that it would play through a speaker. It would, it would play a series of tones that are, the equivalent of, of numbers in a, some kind of language that would be played into the, the earpiece of a phone. Um, is that right? No, sorry. You play it into the mouthpiece. Yeah, mouthpiece. Yeah. And uh, you know, the computer on the other hand, on the other end would hear it and would dial those numbers. And, and, and that, so that's, I guess how it worked. So somebody figured out that by changing the chip in the device, to a specific other chip that was used in payphones, that you could you could make it instead of putting out the tones of a phone call, it could mimic the sound of coins falling into a payphone. <laughs> um, <laughs> nickels, dimes, and quarters, right? And, <laughs> and, and uh, you could you could actually set it up so that you'd have a different button for each of the each denomination. And the number one easiest way to get caught using it was to accidentally hit the buttons too quickly and you get the two samples playing on top of one another. And that would somehow a red flag would go on at the phone company and someone would come on the line. And I remember in our training from you. (laughs) From, oh man, I mean, you're not incriminating uh, me with the. And not to do it too fast, incriminating. You're a hero. (laughs) <laughs> this is not a criminal activity. Yeah, I we I specifically remember Brian Speckman saying, "Don't hit it too fast. Don't hit it too fast. Don't know, hit it fast." Yeah, and or else you'd of course incur the wrath of the phone operator who'd come on and insist that you remain where you were. The authorities <laughs> were on their way. Did you have that happen ever? Oh, I I I had them come on the line and say that, but I you did. I, I don't remember ever sticking around long enough for the authorities to show up, although I suspect that they didn't. Blackhawk um, helicopters, SUVs, <laughs> men in suits. I do. My, my most vivid tone dial memory, tone dialing memory was um, sometime during, I think it was, must've been around 95. You know, I was, I worked at the, that club, club 156 and I was the, the kind of club manager, but we shared an office with the security guys for the whole building and they would get, uh, they would tip us off on other gigs, like on other p- weird paying jobs around campus, right? And so I, I volunteered to get paid to, to be the overnight guard 
in the UC Fieldhouse uh, on campus there uh, for a copier machine expose that was going on, copier machine <laughs> convention, <laughs> right? So they had like 500 copy machines set up in the Fieldhouse and they just wanted someone to stay there all night so that the machines didn't start walking off, I guess, or something. Not that anybody even cared about them. Yeah. But I remember using that time that night to do a lot of tone dialing because mm -hmm. um, I was. I remember being really excited that the that the uh, the payphones on campus were Pac Bell phones because that the tone dialer didn't work with all brands of, of uh, payphones. That's right. It That's had to right. be a Bell phone. Yeah, that was a that was quite a boon. That yeah <laughs> and what did you do did you you book tours with these i booked tours yeah tours i guess uh probably just for my own bands maybe i helped other bands book some book some shows i, I don't remember i don't remember doing much of that at that point in time but i probably you know the, the the dialer may well have been lent out in fact that's may that might be why I, ne I, I never got it back or something i'm not sure but yeah but um I know it came, I, like I said, I know it was a hand-me-down from somebody who I think upgraded and got a better one. Um, <laughs> um, so no doubt had, had booked a lot of tours already by the time I got it. Right. That seems to be the most memorable hack for me in yeah. my education with Professor Sonny. Um, <laughs> I don't know how we found this out, but I feel like maybe you might have been the one to at least tell me Taco Bell Breens were vegan. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that was true. Um, I suspect it probably still is. I thought you were going to talk about scamming Taco Bell. Um, no, you're going to. But also, <laughs> um, the biggest Taco Bell burritos in the country were in South Dakota. Do you remember that one? I do remember that. I, I do remember <laughs> there that was Taco Bell being exceptionally. <laughs> I do remember that. So and those bizarre. kids in that those kids in Rapid City were incredibly proud of that Taco Bell. Oh my God, uh, were they ever? You know, it could have also been just a trick of the mind because you're like been on tour for eight <laughs> weeks and you're in Rapid City, South Dakota, and you haven't had a proper meal in God knows right. how long, and that Taco Bell just starts looking real good. And the other one was. You and the VSS and or angel hair guys always knew where the swim spots were. <laughs> Did we? I remember specifically going like one band member going, do, or do we have to follow them, caravan them? And I remember me and Brian Speckman saying, yes, because they know where the <laughs> swim spot is. So do you remember any other hacks from back then? Yeah, I mean... I'm flattered to hear you give me the credit that you do, but I feel like I was a novice in a lot of things too. And after, you know, a few years after the time we're talking about by the end of the nineties, 98, 99, um, I was touring with Locust a lot and, uh, mm. man, they had all kinds of tricks going on. <laughs> they, they, they schooled me on a lot of stuff. They taught me about something called the super dollar, which was a long piece of, um, packing tape with a dollar at the end. And that thing inserted into a, Pepsi machine or whatever would usually successfully you yanked it hard enough you get your dollar back it would just create wreak havoc in the machine and you need to start spitting out change or or uh, cans that was a useful one um what's the Taco Bell the yeah the Taco Bell so the Taco Bell thing I remember being routinely successful with this and that I'm being on tour with Savalas in 1992 I remember doing this every day for a week um <laughs> uh it would work at all the Pepsi branded places, Taco Bell and Pizza Hut. And um, it was it was just a matter of being friendly 
and persistent. And you call up and say, oh man, you know, I was came through the drive-through an hour, an hour ago and ordered food for all my vegetarian friends. And man, all these burritos have got ground beef in them. What's going on? Like you give us the wrong stuff and blah, blah, blah. And they'd say, well, you have your receipt. No, I threw it away with the trial. Okay, well, come back by and we'll, 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 we'll fix it for you. And um, they would. And so you'd call ahead to Salinas from, you know, wherever you are, King City, where I'm probably getting my cities backwards or something. But, you know, right. like I remember doing it yeah. there in particular and uh, rolling into town an hour later and they've got, and it's almost like they're waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, there was a few times where they would take a look at us and be like, oh, I don't think so. You guys are full of shit. But right. nine times out of 10, I'd be like, you know, it's the, the manager is a teenager. They don't care. No, and um, they want to get in your van. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there. I'm sure <laughs> more than one. I actually, I I do remember a. a oh man, one of the one of the, one of the lowest points for me on tour in my life was in uh, Genoa, Italy, once with the Locust, and um, they were they had played this terrible venue in this like squatted. A warehouse place that was freezing and the bands were all sleeping on the stage and there was no hot water and the showers are outside it was just like as bad as it gets and i said come on guys like we got a credit card we're, let's go to the airport mm-hmm. and so we went and snuck everybody into this red lion inn at the airport in genoa and got caught and uh, we were trying to sleep six people to a room for two and not and not pay for everybody. And I, I went up bribing the guy with T-shirts and CDs. Really? He had no idea who the locusts were, but uh, but it was uh, it was it seemed worthy. So they let us stick around four or five more hours and, and get a little bit of sleep. <laughs> I wonder if he still has all that stuff. <laughs> I know, but man, I was I w- I felt true humiliation that night, and I and the guys in the band were livid. I know, but. Um, but by the same token, uh, none of them had a credit card. So, <laughs> right. What do you think the kids are touring culture is going to be like if they even do it? What do you think the future of sort of the type of touring that we did? I felt rich, but it was low level. That type of touring where money is kind of an issue and it's also not an issue. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. all part of the the game. Mm-hmm. Do you think kids in the near future are going to do any type of touring like that? Or do you think music culture altogether has changed to a kind of a 1% situation? Honestly, I'm, it's all conjecture for me, but like, I, I certainly there's less, I mean, I just see it, I see it here in the town where I live and what we do. Like, there's less kids learning how to play music. There's no doubt about that. There's less kids interested in playing instruments. But having said that, I mean, I think it's easy to feel disconnected as you get older. Um, and I, and I think what you're asking about is like real, like kids getting in a van DIY style. Um, my point is that I think that's like easy for that to seem invisible to people like us. I think it's still going on and I think it's still valid and I think it's still going to be happening. M- mm-hmm. Maybe never to the degree that it was in the nineties or the two thousands. But I think as long as there's electricity and there's as long as there's um, pop culture and social media and stuff like that, like music isn't going anywhere. And I think the need for human engagement is fixed and um, unavoidable. And also, uh, it's hard to comment on things beyond just the 
the confines of where we live. You know what I mean? It's easy to to look at around America and say, oh man, the whole thing is sort of collapsing on itself and it's not what it used to be and it's so hard to do it now and the internet's changed things and COVID sucks and people can't get together. All that stuff, yeah. But by the same token, like, man, I don't know what it's like being a punk band in Vietnam right now. And I occasionally will see a photo or some scene report kind of thing in the maximum rock and roll type of context. And it's like, holy shit, man, like those people, luckily they're going off and having a, a great time. And, and it means something to be doing this stuff. Yeah, I, I see that, too. I'm. It looks really exciting to me as if it's new again, as if I mm. was to go back. I just think I'm far enough away from it without it just being like, oh, right on. They're doing the the right thing, which is what I did. You know, right. I don't want to be that old guy. Right. Yeah. But I, I do also, I recently some British bands, you know, footage of British bands playing in a basement and just like great punk music that I would mm. like and people kind of having fun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's the, like incredible amount of of bands coming out of uh, out of England, out of um, Holland, of all places. Like about a year ago, we went down a little rabbit hole on a radio show that I do on Fridays. We just were started digging, and it's like band after band after band was just incredible. Australia, same thing. Like just these like bands who are reinvigorating the whole thing. Re, it's traditional music at this point. It's a it's almost like a folk concept. It's so repetitive, yet at the same time there are infinite ways of of saying the same thing in in an interesting way music culture and music life and what music does to your mind and what music does to the minds of children it's hard not to put it on a pedestal or 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 have a create a hierarchy because it does seem like an inherently good thing any way you look at it um and it's and it's sad that it's doesn't it's not as at this time as it doesn't have doesn't seem to have the kind of value placed on it that it has at other times Right. Yeah, and I will allow myself to be an old right now. (laughs) And that's the last thing I'll say on touring, which is I really truly look at the touring that I did when I was 19 years old as equivalent to my dad sending me on a week-long camping trip with a group of guys when I was younger. And, you know, there's a lot of materialistic similarities you bring a sleeping bag mm-hmm. you know you pack light <laughs> you uh eat light all those things you try to drink as much water as you can etc mm-hmm. but it wasn't painful but you know it's a it's figuring out the world and figuring out how to sure. survive in a in a in a capacity that i think is actually useful i'd like to send my son out on a tour van you yeah. know i'd also worry about him and i think for us and our close peers, it's, it seemed to be a pretty wholesome experience. You know, we were all uptight about driving safely. Mm-hmm. But we were good kids. We weren't yeah, like us, yeah. You know? um, And we were trying to contribute to something that we had all had a lot of love and respect for and took very seriously. And, um, you know, um, I don't think any of us necessarily envisioned having long-term careers doing any of that stuff but it, right. it, in in the moment it was the only thing that made sense it was the only option that seemed uh, at all cool and and livable and mm-hmm. um healthy and for I, I think i think i speak for all of us when i say that um yeah i mean for me i agree i couldn't agree more i mean i as a kid i loved going to summer camp 
and I went to these kind of weird quasi-religious summer camps, not because my family was religious, just because those were the ones that we found out about. Yeah. And um, I came away from those experiences just thinking like, man, when I'm a teenager, I'm going to be a summer camp counselor. That, <laughs> right. Like, I remember for a decade seriously entertaining that idea, and that was a goal. was like, I'm going to go back and do what those – that was just the coolest thing ever. And by the time I got old enough to do that, like, you know, the idea of being a summer camp counselor, particularly a religious summer camp, was just like <laughs> so far out the window. But I realized pretty quickly that I was scratching that itch. First of all, just being in a band on tour in a van, and then later on being a tour manager, sort of um, not not very formal, but just kind of being the, the dad uh, right. was, was kind of like, oh, that's, yeah, that's where this comes from. Yeah. But um yeah, man, I can't think of a better way of seeing the world and learning about who you are as a person. Just getting in a van and spending a, a, a week or a month or two months uh, with people who are your friends and your family and, and really having to like learn how to live with each other and figure out where where the next meal is coming from and all that yeah. stuff. I mean, it's, it's um, yeah, it, it, you could come away from those things permanently changed and like almost, you know... I, not at all comparing it to wartime or anything like that. I mean, it's like apples and oranges. I would never want to trivialize that, but you can understand the kind of bonding that goes on in these intense experiences with when you see these old, old vets and, and, and that's ever, all that stuff is as real for them as if it happened yesterday. I, I feel exactly the same way about tour stuff. You know, those yeah. were our, you know, like not to, again, not to, not to, not to lessen anybody else's thing, but like what we, you know, in our lives, those, those were our trenches, you know. Sure. Um, you know, it, you know, our, our fight was much less uh, intense, I guess. But still, <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, I, I know exactly what you mean. You know, what I mean. well, it was good talking to you. It's great talking to you always. I wish it happened more often. Yeah. Well, I maybe I'll be there this summer. I would I love that. I want to ask you one more thing before we go. Sure. What are you looking forward to? Now that things are starting to change post pandemic Mm -hmm. and um, it sounds like low key arts is cooking up something or a lot of things. We are. Yeah. We're gearing up. We have a, we have a lot of stuff on the horizon for this year, a couple of uh, big things at the end of the year and um, you know, are kind of continually in the process of uh, developing our educational stuff and um, other things behind the scenes. So yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm very enthusiastic about all that, excited about things taking shape here with that. And um, I'm also really, uh, gosh, I miss traveling. I love, I mean, traveling has been a huge part of my life always. And, um, yeah, you know, we're, we uh, are lucky enough to do little road trips around here, around the, around this part of the country. I do miss, you know, sort of regular treks out West and, and uh, familiar faces and uh, just getting, I definitely need um to go and soak up a little bit of um, desert atmosphere. Well, the whole West is turning into a desert. I'm in Seattle and it's hasn't rained in over two weeks. Come out here if you want to see I the would, new man, desert. I'd love to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I haven't been up to that part of the country in a, in a long time and um, would love to see you. I'd love to see a lot of uh, old friends and just kind of, uh, yeah, I, 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 I suspect a, a new appreciation for it that I maybe wouldn't have felt in the past, you know? Yeah. Things change as you get older. Plus you realize like tearing through these places on tour, um, 
for six or eight hours at a time that doesn't really do them justice no it doesn't i can't wait to go to europe oh, man, with yeah. my kid oh yeah I'll just take him on the tour of my tours. I'll go right to the venue (laughs) and I'll just start there. Yeah. Where we ate dinner, where we got coffee, see what I can find. Of course, the incredible thing is that all those venues actually probably are still there. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) You know, you can take your kid to Vera and actually get him a hotel room. (laughs) Right. And uh, probably the same room that you two slept in 40 years ago. (laughs) Right. And um, it's pretty remarkable. And that's what's incredible about the whole thing over there. It's just like, um, it really puts it in context, you know what I mean? It does. We're so used to disposable, um, not necessarily disposable. Nothing here seems to last that long. Mm-hmm. All right, man. Uh, again, great to talk to you. Great to you. Great talking to you too, Joe. Thank I you so much. I hope to for, see for you at an airport or out west. I'll meet you at the. I'll meet a... you at the Sparrow in uh, in the, <laughs> the Bill Clinton Airport in Little Rock. All right. That's, is there a Sparrow there? I like Sparrow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. It's the date. All right. Uh, good luck with your plumbing. Mine's fixed. Thank you. <laughs> I hope that yours is going to be fixed Me soon. Too. Fingers crossed. All right. Thank you for that. All right, man. Take it Great easy, man. You. Be well. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye.